Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods and practice. Allegations that Michael LaCour, a political science researcher at the University of California, Los Angeles, misrepresented his methods for a co-authored article that appeared in Science has attracted attention from mainstream news sources as well as academic circles. In this episode of Give Methods a Chance, Christopher Eugen, professor of sociology at the University of Minnesota and co-editor of the Society Pages, sits down with Sarah and I to discuss some of the larger lessons learned from this case, as well as the reaction surrounding it. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Glad to be here. How common are cases of academic fraud, or, or in particular, cases where data is falsified or misrepresented? You know, a lot of people worry about people pushing data too hard or, or kind of squeezing results in one way that would shade them one way or another. And that appears to be, rel- that appears to be fairly common, or at least a common worry. Outright fraud where people make up data is, is likely to be exceedingly rare, in part because it's, it's not sustainable over a long term. So we, as academics, we live on our professional reputation. So you might be able to get a paper published, or which might even get you a job. Uh, but long term, it just it, it isn't in anyone's interest to falsify data. And and you know we, to the extent that even on these lesser issues of as I say pushing the data too hard, that it, then your findings will not replicate. And they won't, and, and so in the long run, it's, it's uh, uh, likely to be exceedingly rare. Are there particular lessons that we can learn about the actual process of the research from a case like this? Yeah, I think, I think it really brings to mind a couple of the, what I'd see as trends in, in methodology now, where more voices are calling for people to archive their data or share their results and, and putting that to some extent on journal editors, but also on, on funders to say, let's make sure we create a data archive. You know, when you apply for grants now, that's a very important part of the grant. What are you going to do with your data? Will people be able to see it and use it? And the same thing with publication in major journals. Sociology has been a little slow to that party, I mean, in, in many ways. And so there are uh, uh, some very prominent sociologists who've called for us to be, you know, submitting our data with our articles. And by the way, it's not simply quantitative data that people are talking about. It's interview data. And is there a way to, say, anonymize or protect the confidentiality of the people that we, uh, that we um, participate in our studies in ways that we can, we can also then verify the, that the research was properly done. Do you have any sense of why it is that sociology might be a little bit slow to the party? Yeah, well, we're such a big tent discipline and we use so many different kinds of data that I think it does make it a little more challenging to say, well, it's not just that we can send a correlation matrix and that will be that. But I, I, I also think we, we often deal in kind of difficult subjects or subjects that might place some of our participants at risk, which also causes a, um, a, some concern. I mean, we'd certainly, I'd, I'd hate for somebody who I spoke with to have some sort of harm come to them, either because, you know, I identified them in, in um, a qualitative interview 
or because somebody you know took this large-scale survey and cross-tabulated everything 50 ways and then identified them which is becoming increasingly easy to do when you have sufficient data points the idea of sharing the data that you have it seems like it relates to these broader discussions of transparency. Right. Does this case teach us something about the need for greater transparency, or can we learn anything from from about transparency from this? I think so. You know, the the it's at every stage. I think we look back as as sociologists, we say, or as social scientists, and we say, what could we have done to prevent this sort of uh, event from occurring? What could we have done from publishing a finding that we later find out? to, in all likelihood, you know, be, be based on, uh, on, on very little. And so that, we look at the supervision, in this case of a graduate student, and, and what are the institutional supports and controls there. We look at the journal review process and about what sort of information is provided during the peer review process. And we look at, look at the funding streams and, and what do the funders ask. But I will say that if somebody is really uh, uh, kind of out to trick this system, there are ways to do that in the short term. I mean, but I, but I think, again, it, it would be very, very difficult to sustain any kind of career in this way. And I, and I think it's, um, uh, I think we do collectively hold ourselves to a pretty high standard. And, and that is, you know, when I would write a, a letter of recommendation for a graduate student, for example, I always talk about their research values, about they want to get it right, that they care about getting it right, they ask good questions, they take pains, they are their own worst reviewer, and I think that is what keeps the field really healthy. Chris, you're known for doing some experimental research, and I think yeah. that adds a layer of complication because um, sociological experiments can be different than other types of experiments. So is there anything about the experimental method that you think um, has elevated this recent case? Yeah, I, I mean, experiments are, are so wonderfully powerful for identifying causal effects that, and they, they travel really well outside the journals. So if you testify and you present experimental results, um, they do have this, it isn't simply a patina of science, that they, they really do um, speak to a broad audience. And, and, they're, and they're also understandable if you're saying, you know, well, I get a 10% difference in my treatment group and my control group. That's, that's saying something um, that, that is accessible and easily understood. With regard to fraud, it is, it is indeed, I, you know, as I reflect on this, because experiments, experimental data aren't always shared or archived, there are fewer eyes on, on that data. And I think, again, that's a conversation that we're having, like how do we archive this information and de-identify it. There really aren't huge barriers to doing that. And there was a wonderful effort among the psychologists now to replicate a whole host of major studies, and some of them replicated and some of them didn't, uh, in, uh, when, when new experimental um, tests were, were devised. So I see this as a trend. I, I don't know that experiments are particularly vulnerable. Uh, uh, certainly, you know, people can make up survey responses or they can um, fabricate interviewees or research scenes as an ethnographer. But, but I would say that, that, that they are uh, such a powerful tool 
that they, they get a disproportionate share of attention perhaps. Does this indicate anything about the peer review process where there's places for it to improve? Because it seems like that's the place yeah. where there are these gatekeepers who are saying to the journalists who are excited about experimental design that, you know, this passes our standard. It's okay for you to get excited about these results now. Yeah, that's that's a great question, Kyle. And I think we've all been doing some soul searching on, you know, this. And, and I, I wouldn't accuse this you know, science or any other journal from fast tracking pieces. But I will say as a, as a journal editor, there are some pieces that are so engaging and exciting that you just want to tell the world. And, and it means that, you, you know, you still must go through a rigorous peer review process and look critically at it. But there are these wow papers. And I think you might, you know, I, th I think there is a danger of rushing a piece to print I think we always ha we have to be careful about that. Has there been anything about the response that surprised you and that could be from within academic circles or within the coverage of the larger media which was one of the reasons we were excited about talking with you? Yeah I think it did surprise me how uh, much attention, public attention that uh, this case brought in and, and it really um, saddened me because we have so many examples of amazing social scientific research that that are changing the world and, and describing the world and, and in new and innovative ways that I would love to see more attention given to, say, Diva Pager's experimental studies. And I think it raises the doubt. But people do like a good kind of crime story but you know they you know and, and by that I mean if somebody is intentionally de deceptive but I think the the important thing to focus on here is the social or institutional controls rather than trying to psychologize or guess what is in the mind of somebody going through because you know what we want, want to be sure is that we have the proper institutions in place that are going to kind of prevent some of these excesses from driving more people, you know, to, to, to this sort of behavior. So it seems like a classic case of getting excited about the individual and not the social, which fits well with our discipline. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and I, I think that's the, that's the question that, you know, I met with our director of graduate studies in the hallway and said, okay, well, how should we be thinking about this with a new crop of first year students coming in? It's not to pile on or to, to call out and name the evil. It's, it's more to say, well, let's, let's make sure that our program, that we are communicating effectively to students, letting them know about these these potential pitfalls, and then to be perhaps a little more vigilant, you know, as, as, a, as a community. Does this teach us anything about the pressures and perils of public sociology? Yeah, I think the thing that I was engaged in a few conversations on this where people are saying, does this push or mania for impact, I saw, distort our values, right? Is this you know, are we pursuing this kind of success goal without worrying about the, you know, the mean, the legitimized means to doing it? I don't think, I don't think there is this, such a push for impact that it distorts our values. I, I think the, what we need to do is highlight two things in this public work. One is quality. The research has to be high quality. And the other is relevance. So the research has to speak to the world. But then impact may or may not follow from that. In some cases, I felt like I had a very important story to tell that would, that would be useful in, in public discourse, and it just didn't get picked up. 
In other times it resonates, the research will resonate with the times, it will gain some attention. You know, the journalists will say, well, the story had legs, you know, this story keeps coming back. And whether that's something on felon disenfranchisement, which I've written on, or employment and crime, that, that these stories will, will kind of take off. So I, I think the for more junior scholars, it is kind of a scary world because we are uh, accountable for to our professional community. You know, the uh, uh, the American Sociological Association, our own institutions, uh, and we're also increasingly being looked at as as people who should be making a difference or or engaging in broader conversations. I'm excited about that prospect. I you know my vision of the field is that indeed we should be engaged, but we should be the people who bring the best research, who bring reliable, valid information or new perspectives and interpretations. And and when we get outside of that role, that's when we struggle. That was great. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. On behalf of me, Sarah Loggison, and my co-producer, Kyle Green, thank you so much for listening. And remember, please give Methods a chance. <laughs>